This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads at our website ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good afternoon everyone. Um, good to see you. Good to see you all awake and eager. Um, our subject, the title of our subject, comes from a, a particular situation uh, that Jesus um, was confronted with, which is an, an absolutely lovely situation. It's uh, recorded in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke. We're going to look at the Matthew reading, which is Matthew chapter 9. And it's when Jesus called one of his disciples. It's, it's, so we, we're starting at, at Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to, to read from verse 9. Okay. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. Okay, now, the, the receipt of custom was the place where they would collect the tax. In our authorised version, tax collectors aren't called tax collectors, they're called publicans. And we can get a little bit confused sometimes, because nowadays we'd think that they were the landlord of a pub. But publicans in scripture at that time when the translation was given it means a tax collector and this is what Matthew was so he's sitting at the receipt of custom he's doing his job he's collecting tax and Jesus said unto him follow me and he arose and followed him and it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Now, it, reading this from Matthew, you might think that it sounds as if it's Jesus' house. It, it isn't. Uh, from Luke's Gospel, we find that this is Matthew's house. And Matthew has just up sticks, left his job altogether, left the money there, and he's followed Jesus, and now he's holding a big party in his house for Jesus but, but not just for Jesus for his friends the other publicans and other friends that he had so it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house behold many publicans tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples and when the Pharisees saw it they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? I suppose we need to explain a little bit. Tax collectors in, in our day and age, really, we don't like them because they're going to take money off us. They're, but they're perfectly acceptable and in some cases they can be normal people. But, um, all right, most of normal people. But in Jesus' time, these weren't tax collectors for the Jews, the populations. These were tax collectors 
for the oppressive Roman uh, authorities. And they were really looked down on. They were really hated. Um, they were, were people that were thought of as working for the enemy. In many instances, they were dishonest. They would increase the amount of tax they collected for themselves. They were greedy. I suppose in, in our day and age, we'd call them quislings, working for the, for the enemy. So you can understand that they were not liked. It was from their point of view a, a difficult job and I think you had to be of a particular personality to be able to live with that sort of work. And I suppose, if we're honest, as a class, if, if I could use that term, which I don't really like, but as a, a group of people, they weren't really that interested in religion. That's the formal worship of God. Now I think that Matthew didn't like his job. My, the, the, the fact that somebody can, can leave the job straight away to follow Jesus whom he must have known and heard about would mean that he'd been in a bit of a conflict with himself over the job that he did and what he thought was the right thing to do. So when Jesus said, follow me, he followed him straight away. And that's all in all the three Gospels. So Jesus is, is with Matthew, having a, a, a party at Matthew's house, and he's meeting all his friends. Now, I, I know that in... In some ways, it's nice to think that Jesus is there and that Jesus will mix with anyone at all and, uh, and, and nobody is outside the remit of Jesus, which is absolutely and perfectly true. But it wasn't that Jesus was going there to party, because he wasn't. Jesus said why he was there. So let's carry on. So why is your master eating with publicans and sinners? It wasn't a nice question. If you read it from, math, from Luke's Gospel, it says they murmured. What on earth is he doing? Eating with publicans and sinners. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. This is a little bit that's in Matthew that isn't in the other two Gospels. But go and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. In the other two Gospels it goes, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Right, so what we've got is a group of people, the Pharisees, who are extraordinarily religious in their, their view. 
they are extremely religious and, and religious in the sense that we mean it today uh, originally uh, religion meant rebinding but but even at the time of Jesus it meant a love of ceremony and ceremonial worship they were very very religious so why does Jesus put that little bit in the middle I want just to look at that first go and learn what that meaneth I will have mercy and not sacrifice does it mean that sacrifices weren't acceptable well it's actually a quotation from the Old Testament Bible it's in Hosea which if you want to find it it's the first of the minor prophets it's equal Daniel and it's straight after the book of Daniel and it's Hosea chapter 6 verse 6 but just to, to get the feel of it we need to read around it so if I start reading from verse 4 O Ephraim that's another name for Israel the northern kingdom O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, that's the southern kingdom, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud and as the early deweth goeth away. Therefore have I hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and thy judgments are as the light that goeth forth. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. It's very poetic language, isn't it? I've hewn them by the prophets. I've slain them with the words of my mouth. I've told them exactly what's going to happen. And how did they judge it? Just as light. It's light that's come from God and they've seen it and it's gone and they've not taken any notice at all so what does it mean sacrifice and mercy if, if one is sacrificing one is sacrificing all sacrifices really are a sin offering it's an offering that is made for sin in, in one form or another but the actual sacrifice itself is, is an outward show of what should be going on in our hearts you see anyone can see that somebody's done a sacrifice you can see the sacrifice you can you can see that somebody's given it but only God can actually see what's going on inside a person what's going in, on inside their heart and the sacrifice wasn't there and the, the, the sacrifice was only in an animal asking for mercy from God 
But what God wants is mercy from us. Not not to him. Let's put it this way. When the Lord Jesus taught us to pray, what he said is that when you ask for mercy, which we do, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our sins. We're asking for mercy. And then Jesus says to add on, as we forgive those who trespass or sin against us. And that's what they weren't doing. It was all an outward show of sacrifice, but there was nothing in their heart to reflect what they were wanting from God. And so that's why Jesus is able to say that. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The sacrifice is just the outward show. You need the inner thing first. There's another interesting quotation that I think is in Jesus' mind, because it's in my mind at the same time, is if you move forward to the book of Micah, it's just one, two, three, four, five books further on, and also chapter 6 and, and, and verse 6 this is what God is saying through Micah he says wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves of a year old will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil shall I give my firstborn for my transgression the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul he has showed thee O man what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God so we can see what Jesus I think we can see what Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 9 go ye and learn what that meaneth I will have mercy and not sacrifice and so to our title that I will have for I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance he's not there as I said to make friends or to enjoy a party He's come to call sinners to repentance. In verse 12, when it says, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick, Jesus is there saying that he's come to, to heal sick people. But these people aren't sick in a bodily sense. The, the people that he's constantly healing the paralytic man that he's he's just healed just before this incident occurs 
No, they're, they're in need of a physician because of sin. So, he's calling sinners to repentance. Repentance, as we know, or as many of you sat here will know, repentance is the idea that you turn round and go in the opposite direction. And so if you're a sinner called to repentance, it means that you're going down the road and you're sinning and you suddenly stop and you go the other way. That, that's what Matthew had done, isn't it? That, that's what Matthew had done in his mind. He'd been there at the receipt of custom and he thought this was wrong. And so when Jesus called him, he left it and he went completely the other way. And now he's there with his friends wanting them to be influenced in the same way that, that he's been influenced. So Jesus has come to make sick people well, but not just those that are bodily or sick in body. And the thing is, that I, I just want to ask you to think about for a moment, is... Which side of the fence do you fall on at the moment? Are you a sinner? Or are you righteous? So, which way do you think that you are? And, and let's, let's grade it maybe a, a, a little bit. Do you think that you're very righteous? Do you think that you're medium righteous? Do you think you're a little bit righteous? Do you think that you're a little bit of a sinner? A medium sinner? Or a real bad sinner? And, and these, the Pharisees, were thinking were really bad sinners. So do you think that you're as bad as this lot here who've been collecting taxes and been greedy and been dishonest? Just, I just want you to to think about that for a moment as we're as we're going through what Jesus said. I want you to, so he's going to call sinners to repentance. We've said that means that you go round and you work the opposite way. Never to sin again. Well, I think that's a little bit of wishful thinking. That would be very nice if they were never to sin again. You see, Paul, when I say Paul, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul of the Bible, who wrote so many letters, who wrote half the New Testament, he actually talks about sin quite a bit. If you go with me to Romans chapter 7, He talks about sin from a, a very personal point of view. It, it's how he personally feels about sin. I'm going to start reading from verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. And that this is 
Not the law in the Old Testament. This is the law of Jesus Christ. Our following the Lord Jesus. The law is spiritual. But I'm carnal. I'm sold unto sin. For that which I do. I allow not. For what I would. Things I want to do. That do I not. But what I hate. That do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. But then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if, if I do that I would not, it is no more, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin... Paul sounds like a schizophrenic, doesn't he? A, a dual personality. He isn't. But he's governed by his feelings, by his human nature. And he's not able to overcome that with his intellect. Now, if you don't mind me saying so, if that's how the Apostle Paul feels about himself, I'd be very surprised if you could feel any better than that. You see, if I were to ask you, who do you think is the greatest sinner in the whole world? Who would you think it would be? Well, we're told in Scripture who the worst sinner is. It's in um, Paul's first letter to Timothy. It's in the first chapter. And it's verse 15. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. This is a faithful saying unworthy of all acceptation that Jesus, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Do you know, I disagree with the Apostle Paul on that. I don't think he's the chief sinner at all. I think I'm far worse sinner than the Apostle Paul. But what we're actually seeing 
is how we look at sin and how we look at sinners. How the Apostle Paul looks at sinners is that I'm worse than they are. He, he spends a whole time in, in um, the book of Romans at the beginning telling us that we must never judge people because we do exactly the same things. He's admitted in Romans 7 that that's how he is. So you don't judge people. And then actually later on in Romans, in Romans chapter 14, he says more specifically about judging members of the community that we are. He says you don't judge those either because you're judging another man's servant. You don't judge another man's servant and these are God's servants. So you don't judge another man's servants. That's, that's what he said. So the Apostle Paul isn't concerned with condemning others. He's concerned that he is a sinful person. And that's a, a completely different attitude from the righteous or thinking themselves righteous Pharisees that murmured against Jesus. It's a completely different way of looking at things. Now I'm going to, to have our reading. Uh, and I want you to note at the beginning of the reading that we're in an exactly same situation where Jesus is speaking to publicans and sinners. He's speaking to what would normally be classed as the lower class, the, you know, the ones that you don't want to be associated with sinners. And it's exactly the same sort of situation. And it's, um, it's Luke chapter 15. Okay. So then we'll take this reading from the Gospel of Luke. And the 15th chapter. Then drew neared unto Jesus all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto him, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbours, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say unto you that likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons 
which need no repentance. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbours together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with righteous living. And when he had spent all there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that, count, of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and, and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a, a great way off, his father saw him, and he had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again, he was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his eldest son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and our father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. 
But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy younger brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So in the parable, Jesus is is looking at the Pharisees and trying to appeal to them on a, a slightly different level. It's exactly the same problem that he'd had with Matthew, at Matthew's party giving. How do you, you turn a person from thinking coldly to thinking warmly, thinking caringly? Well, normally, well, what Jesus is certainly doing is to make it personal. We've got a story about a lost sheep, not any lost sheep, but my lost sheep. And I'm going to look for my lost sheep. I couldn't care that much about your lost sheep, but this is my sheep. And that means a lot to me. You've lost a coin? Oh, that's sad, isn't it? No, I'm sorry you've lost a coin. But I've lost a coin. And unless I get that coin, there's not going to be food for the children. That coin is very important to me. It's personal to me. And then it's... The final one, the lost son. I'm sorry to hear that your son's left home. My son's left home. What's happening to him? Where is he? I worry so much about him. They couldn't care about the publicans and sinners. But if it had been their son that was amongst those sinners, they would have cared. He's trying to appeal to them. He's showing that God cares for each one of us as his family, as we would, a member of our family. So it's it's to show that God cares that's point number one yes but that they care too about their families and their children and themselves there's an interesting point in this of course as well because there was the son that wasn't lost and and what the son that wasn't lost what it points out is that he he was the one that didn't care he didn't care about his brother he he didn't care that his brother 
had been suffering so much all he cared about was himself go and learn what this means I'll have mercy and not sacrifice it's quite interesting as well that um, let me just get to the the verse that we're looking at he says go and learn verse 13 what it means I will have mercy and not sacrifice do you think they did do you think the Pharisees actually went away and said let's have a little look and see what it means well I must tell you they didn't if you turn to just forward a, a few chapters to Matthew chapter 12 it is a time that probably most of us here know very well where the disciples were walking through the fields of corn they were hungry and it happened to be the Sabbath day and the Sabbath day you do not do any work on and they were rubbing the corn in their hands and eating it And Jesus said unto them, um, he uses the example of, of, of David, um, and also that the, the priests work on a Sunday, sorry, on a Saturday, on, on the Sabbath day, and, and are blameless, because it's their job to work on a Saturday. And then verse 7 he says, but if ye had known what this meaneth, they'd had chance to have a look and they haven't. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. You wouldn't have condemned the guiltless. This is the second time, the only other time that Jesus uses this. And one is he's asking them to go and have a look at it. And now he's saying if you had been and had a look at it, you wouldn't have condemned the guiltless. You see, the, the elder brother in the parable appeared to sacrifice himself in his toil, in his work for his father. He, he'd given of himself and he was very conscious that his younger brother hadn't and he'd gone and wasted all his inheritance. But he hadn't really sacrificed because there was no mercy in his heart. And, and the, one of the problems is, is I can relate to the older brother. And I'm sure that you can relate to the older brother too. It doesn't seem right and it doesn't seem fair. And that's the wrong attitude that we've all got. We're, we're actually in a pretty sad pickle. We, we want to repent, like Matthew, we want to turn around in our lives and we want to be good people but like the Apostle Paul we find that sin is, is, is always with us it, it, we can't get rid of it we can't stop thinking a bit like the elder brother there so we're not righteous people at all 
and then the, the, the question has to be asked what, what's to be done and that's the good news you see that's the gospel what needs to be done has been done all that we have to do is to accept a gift a free gift that's called grace and it's very interesting to look at mercy and to look at grace if you think about it just for a moment mercy is where we don't receive what we deserve we're forgiven and grace is where we do receive what we don't deserve so one we don't receive the bad things that we should have and the other is that we do receive the good things that we don't deserve and both mercy and grace are of God and both mercy and grace are for us to try and exhibit as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ God was working through the Lord Jesus Christ just have a look with me at Matthew chapter 19 you might think I'm going off the subject but I hope you'll see where I'm going it's an occasion where there was it's called the incident of the rich young man it's a young man who was quite wealthy but he was also wanting to worship God truly and we have this incident it's in um, verse 16 it starts and behold one came and said unto him good master what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life and Jesus said unto him why callest thou me good there is none good but one that is God but if thou wilt enter into life keep the commandments and, and the, the discussion goes on that he had always kept the commandments and Jesus perceiving that he was wealthy said well go and sell everything you, you have and follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven but the, the point that I'm wanting to make here is Jesus' reply why callest thou me good was Jesus good and Jesus is saying I'm not good and, and this is something that is, is extremely important to us because he wasn't good you see Jesus at this moment was a work in progress he'd been good but it's in progress it isn't finished it's like a house being built there's still work to do and it might fail he was still capable of sin and you know the, the, the moment that Jesus became perfect was not until 
that moment of his death. Just, just a few seconds before his death, Jesus could have said, enough, I'm coming down from the cross. He had that power. But when he was dead, he was incapable of sin. That's what we read this morning in, in Romans 5. He's incapable of sin. So he's quite rightly saying here that he isn't good. But once he's died, then he is perfect. And then God is justified in raising Jesus from the dead. Because the wages of sin, we read at the end of Romans chapter 6, is death. Jesus hadn't paid the wages. He hadn't done the work of sin, so God was justified in raising him from the dead. And what Romans, we'll, we'll go to Romans chapter 5, I know that we, uh, we did read it earlier on today. But Romans chapter 5 shows how through faith, that's through a belief in the work of the Lord Jesus, we can be justified. And that means that we're counted as just people when really we're not just people. Therefore, verse 1, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll carry on. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace, this free gift, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulation worketh patience or endurance. And patience, experience, and experience hope that's a longing and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given unto us for when we were yet without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly for scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Atonement is a, it's one of those words that was made up by Tyndale because there was no way that you uh, words that the time could express. And it's just what it says, at one moment, that we're made at one with God. We've been reconciled to God through the work, through the life and the death 
uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means that we're now counted as just people. All that we have to do, actually it's so simple, all that we have to do is to go through a very simple ceremony. And it's a simple ceremony where we associate ourselves with the work of God and the work of the Lord Jesus. It's, it's in the next chapter of Romans, in, in Romans chapter 6. Again, it's, it's a passage of scripture, I think, that, that we all know so extremely well. Um, Romans chapter 6, reading from verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ. Baptized means, it was actually originally a technical term for dyeing, dyeing cloth. But it means that it's, you immerse the cloth completely under the water. Uh, and that's what baptism is, it's complete immersion. So you'll get the picture as we go through this little reading. Know ye not that so many as of of us as were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. As we go under the water, we die, figuratively speaking. Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. As we come out of the water, we're resurrected to a new life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin there's that verse I was talking about earlier for he that is dead is freed from sin so isn't that absolutely wonderful that the Lord God is wanting to be so merciful to us so forgiving to us and much more than that he's wanting to be so graceful in the sense that he's wanting to give us this wonderful free gift that we don't deserve but it balances only on one thing that I think everybody here has which is faith a belief in the work of the Lord Jesus and a trust in the work of the Lord Jesus. Belief and trust equals faith. And that's what faith is all about. And really, that's the end of our talk because that is the gospel. That's what binds us together it's what binds the 
the whole of humanity to God and it's what the future is all related to the gospel the good news and it's not just the good news of our salvation through the work of the Lord Jesus it's the good news of the kingdom of God when the Lord Jesus Christ returns so thank you very much we hope you enjoyed that talk for more downloads videos information about what we believe and details of our meeting times go to our website ormskirtchristadelphians.org.uk Thank you.